Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Our guest today, Vincent Todd Tolman, was born in Arlington, Texas, and has since traveled around the world, living in both Cambodia and Thailand. He loves spending time with animals, meditating, and enjoying nature, but his greatest priorities are his relationship with his creator, his family, and the people he meets. He currently lives in Las Vegas with his wife, Andrea, and their two children. About his NDE at age 25, Vinny says, I died on Saturday, January 18th, 2003. This fact is not in dispute. I was cut out of a body bag. I still have a piece of it. When the EMTs found me in the bathroom of a Dairy Queen, my body temperature was 79 degrees, and I had been dead for 45 minutes, maybe longer. After a rookie paramedic risked his career to restart his heart, Vinny spent three days in a coma where he experienced a life-changing NDE. He tells the story in his book, The Light After Death, My Journey to Heaven and Back. Vinny, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. I'm, uh, I'm really, really blessed to be here today. Oh, well, it's a blessing to us and, and to our listeners as well. Vinny, I trust your trip to Thailand was less dramatic than the trip your package from Thailand put you on <laughs> in yeah, 2003. Absolutely. So tell yeah, your audience was, about that package and what it did to you and your friend. Well, what had happened is me and me and a buddy of mine, we were very much into natural bodybuilding and we were used to taking a supplement on a regular basis for assisting us with our natural bodybuilding. And this supplement was so popular, it was sold out everywhere. So we turned online thinking, hey, you know, maybe the stuff you get online internationally is the same stuff. And that obviously wasn't. It's what put us both in the hospital and, and essentially killed me and facilitated my process of coming back. Yeah, it was a 100% solution. And the stuff we were getting in the States was a 5% diluted solution. So the stuff we got on overseas was much, much stronger. Yeah. So tell us a little about that scene in the Dairy Queen and especially about the amazing novice medic and the glow in him that saved your life. Yeah, the miracle to me is him and his ability to kind of disregard logical thought and take some illogical steps to save my life. Um, well, what had happened is that I took the supplement. So did my buddy. We, we ended up making it to this Dairy Queen. My buddy made it just inside the door and collapsed on the first booth he could reach. And there he, he began to vomit that nobody saw us come in together. I had actually technically came in right before him and I went straight to the bathroom and it was a single-use bathroom, so I, I locked the door. And <clears throat> meanwhile, I, too, also passed out and started to vomit. The problem is I passed out on my back. So I aspirated. I ended up you know, suffocating on, my, on what was coming out of my stomach. And uh, meanwhile, my buddy, he ended up uh, just, just vomiting on the table. They called 911. They got him hauled away in an ambulance just fine. Meanwhile, uh, it was almost a, a good amount later. I... I didn't have a clock on me, so I couldn't tell you the exact amount of time, but there is a substantial amount of time after my buddy was hauled away that finally a customer asked the manager to open the restroom so he could use it. 
because he figured nobody could be in there that long and not, you know, and not be done. So they did go yes. ahead and knock and nobody answered. They opened the door and there was a dead guy on the floor, uh, which was me. Mm. Wow. And uh, so they called the ambulance back to, to get you. Yeah, they called oh. it. So that first one had actually taken my buddy to a, a hospital just down the street, but it was still preoccupied with that, that whole process and the paperwork. So they called a new one. They called another ambulance for me, which was a sep- a different one. Yeah. Now, were you out of your body at that point? Yes. Yeah. So I actually plunged out of my body. Um, I didn't realize that's what had happened, but that's what had happened. As soon as the room started to spin on me, I plunged into this, like, almost like a dark, cool feeling, a very, uh, very uh, liquid type energy feeling that I, I plunged into. And it felt very relaxing and very very beautiful. Um, and all of a sudden I, this, this kind of scene started to come clear in front of me. And what I was looking at was the, the scene of this restaurant, this Dairy Queen that I was looking down on and I could see everything that was happening inside the little restaurant there. I could see that, um, there was a dead guy on the floor, number one, which, which as odd as it is to say, I did not know was me because me was up here watching everything. Like it couldn't have be me down there. Me was up here. So it yes. didn't even dawn on me to think that that was me. And I was watching them process my buddy. And I was so worried. I was so um, lovingly trying to help whatever I could to get him taken care of. Cause I knew that was him. And then I knew that um, I had an understanding and a, an almost acceptance of everybody in that restaurant where I could hear and understand their thoughts, their feelings, everything. It was very, very odd and surreal at that point. Um, and I was watching as the, the thoughts and the feelings the manager had as he called 911 after he found a, a second guy that, that had uh, vomited. And now this one looks like he's dead. Mm. Um, and then when the, the medics came and they pronounced him dead, it was a big deal. It was a gut punch for this manager and, and for those who he worked with too when they when they pronounced the body dead. Cause they, when the medics first got there, there was still hope that maybe, Hey, maybe they could bring this guy back. But after, yeah. after only a couple of minutes of trying, they knew, you know, there was no bringing this guy back. And you could read the feelings of all the folks that were participating. In yes. This. And it was, it's as if it was music. Like it was just already there. It wasn't, you didn't have to try. It was just in that field that I was existing in all thought was there. So all thoughts and feelings were just free flowing. I could feel and, and, and hear all of them. Yeah. It was very, very odd, Hmm. very different. So tell us about the medic. So, um, this to me is the miracle. Um, this to me is the reason I'm here talking to you today is, um, the, the, the ambulance team is a team of three gentlemen. There's two veteran medics and then a rookie. The rookie, he's sitting in the back of the ambulance and he's just staring at this body bag and he's just having all sorts of thoughts like, why am I even going to be a medic if I can't make a difference? If I can't resuscitate and help these people who need my help, why am I even doing this? And he felt just this kind of almost an agony, like an agony of heart that he really, he felt called to do what he was doing, but he didn't feel like he was making a difference. And with this guy, with this one guy, he felt like he wasn't able to make a difference. He wanted to try longer and he was told to stop trying to resuscitate the body. Um, So he was sitting there thinking, I wish we could try more. I wish we could have tried something else. 
Like, why didn't we try a defib? Why, you know, he's thinking all these, these things. And as he was doing that, I started to notice this light start to glow around his heart. And literally it was coming from inside of him. He himself was glowing around his heart space. And, and as it started to get brighter and brighter and actually start to glow around his heart, I felt this very strong force over my left shoulder, almost like somebody threw a football, like boom, right over my left shoulder. And, and I, I perceived that energy hitting him. And then I heard very loudly, this one's not dead. And it surprised me so much so that I looked to see where that energy came from and I couldn't see any. All I could see was just, just blindness, you know, almost like I was being blocked from seeing where it came from. And, but I could see in him, he heard that message. He heard it. I knew he heard it because as soon as it was said, he went like this and he, he looked back to the other two medics, the, the two veteran medics sitting in the front of the ambulance. And he looked at him like, are they playing a trick on me? Was that them? And then, then he kind of just shrugged it off. No, that must've been my imagination. They went another about half block or maybe a block down the road. And this light just started to just get brighter and almost vibrate. It got so large that it went from his waist to above his head. And literally he was glowing from the upper half of his, of his being. Wow. As that happened, I again felt that force over my left shoulder. And again, I heard it, but this time even louder. And even louder, it said, this one's not dead. And that was enough for him. This medic, the second he heard it the second time, that was enough. He was like, I need to do something. He, he, he right away went to unzip the body and made it to about here, about the chin. And there was a strap there. So he realized he had to undo a strap. He unzipped it a little bit further. He was feeling around the neck area or sorry, around the, the jaw area and just trying to feel like for a pulse. He couldn't feel any. He undid another strap around the chest. He was feeling underneath the armpit, could not feel anything. He, he then did an, undid another strap and went down on the inside of the femur. There's a big artery there. So he was feeling around for that. As he did, I felt a connection to him. And I felt, um, it's, it's hard to explain, but it was like a spark. It was like a little, a little discharge of electricity between me and him, almost like a shock, you know, like a static shock, but I felt it very, very succinct and distinct. I could feel this shock, this ignition between the two of us. And I knew he felt it too, because as soon as he felt it, he froze. And it was enough for him that he decided, you know what, that was something. And so he decided to go ahead and attempt resuscitation at that point. Um, so he did, he went ahead and, and attempted resuscitation, um, which you know, unbeknownst to these two veteran medics, they're deep in a conversation, not realizing what he's doing until he turns on the machine that shocks the heart. When he turns that thing on, it has an alarm on it to make sure you clear your hands off of the body. So you don't get shocked as that alarm is going off. The other two medics look back and, and notice what's going on. They really start laying into him that he's going to get fired. He ha he's not even fully on the job yet. It's his first week, you know, don't do this. And he didn't care. He was driven by that experience of what he heard and felt. He went ahead and let the shock go through. There was no heartbeat. And he still wasn't dissuaded, though. He went to a second round, which to me, to me, that's another miracle. Like to have faith in that, that energy of what he's feeling. He went to a second round. The second round, he got one heartbeat. 
and then it was flatline again. But the the beauty of that that first heartbeat that he, he heard was it really kind of put a sock in it for those two veteran medics. It made them both kind of hush down. They both wanted to wait and see what was going to happen on the third <laughs> round because they knew he was driven. He was going to go for at least a third round. When he got to the third round, um, the the shock happened and there was nothing for about one second. And then, bam, it was a steady, faint heartbeat. But it was steady and it was on its own, unassisted. The body started back up the heart and 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 thus began the process of 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 my transitioning back. Um, but meanwhile, I had been oxygen deprived for so long. I was brain dead. So for three days, I was brain dead in a coma. But as odd it is to say, through this whole process, I still didn't know it was me. I didn't know because me again was up here watching all this. And I was very emotionally involved and I was cheering on this medic, like, go, go, you can do this. Do it. And I'm like, you can do this. And he got the heart started and I was like celebrating. I was so happy. And, and as they got that heart started, the, another blessing or miracle of it all is it happened about a half a block from a hospital. Hmm. So within feet or seconds of that heart starting, they were able to turn that body into a, a, a trauma team ready to meet it and start, start doing the work, doing the hard work of bringing that body back to life. Because there was a lot that had to be done. Uh, you know, all sorts of treat, you know, stuff they needed to do to that body to, to allow it to come all the way back. Um, mm. As they were, as the, the hospital was transitioning the body from the medical gurney, uh, from the ambulance onto a hospital ER bed or, or, or a, a hospital gurney, as they were doing that, the body did start going into seizures and it started just going, you know, seizing and, and stuff was coming out of the mouth. And was and all sorts of weird just things were happening with that body, so they they went ahead and started to strap the body down so they could treat it. They first strapped the legs, then they strapped the right arm, and as they went to strap the left arm, I'm left-handed. Um, I felt someone strapping my left arm where I was sitting, and when I looked down to see what was happening, I, I felt like I was looking down at the the arm of the dead body. And that's when I realized that was the first inkling I had had that what I had just witnessed was my own death. And for wow. a very, for a very dark, cold moment, I, I went into this very dark space where I started to think, what an idiot. How could you not know you just witnessed your own death and you had no idea? Mm -hmm. um, and I went to a really dark space for a second, <laughs> not for too long, but I did go for a second. and. And graciously, I started to feel this warmth and this love come from behind me. And, and that's, that, that took me to the next part of my journey where I yes. got to meet, meet my guide. Now, you, had, you said a glimpse of a life review, first bad and then the good things that you've done in your life. Was that before you met your guide or after? It was essentially right before. So when I was having those feelings of, you idiot, how could you not know that you're dead? I started spiraling into this just negative energy spiral of, of, I started thinking about all the negative things I'd ever done. And then I actually started seeing them. And now it's hard to explain this because it happened in like a second, all of it, but yet mm. I can pick it out experience by experience by experience. I started realizing all the negative influences or impacts I had on others 
but not from my perspective, from their perspective. I got to see it from both sides. And then I, I started to almost get into this downward spiral of you're not worth saving. You're not worth living. You're not, you know, thinking all these negative, dark thoughts. As I was having those thoughts, this warmth started to come from behind me. And now all of a sudden I, I felt that my own voice saying, you are worth it. You are worth it. And I started to see all the good that I did in my life. And I started to see it not just from my eyes, but from the perspective of those who received that good too. Yeah. And, and I did realize that there was, some, there was some worth being around for sure. You know, what's interesting about this is it's an old adage that your life flashes before your eyes as you're dying. Most NDEers, however, don't experience a life review until they get to heaven or wherever. Mm -hmm. This happened before you even started that journey through the yep. tunnel of light. So it almost confirms that your life flashes before your eyes. Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I felt, I felt that I was in control of what happened next. And I felt that right from the get-go that, that it was my own thoughts that were going to facilitate or stop me from going or, or not, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that was part of that process of, of going through these quick flashes of just everything good or bad and then good that I'd ever done. And that's when I started to embrace that warmth that was coming from behind me. And, and I turned around to see what that warmth was. And I saw this gentleman all dressed in white, white suit coat on white, white stole or robe over his shoulders and uh, white, long white beard, long white hair, but very, very pink skin, like beautifully. I don't, I'm not a th guy for pink skin, but man, this skin <laughs> he had was just so gloriously pink and, and light was coming from inside of him, not just around him, but light was emitting from him, this, this force, this love and light was coming from him. And my first instinct was, and I didn't say this, but I thought this, oh, you must be God. And he smiled. The second I had that thought, he smiled. And I heard him and his voice tell me, no, son, I'm not God. And then my follow-up thought is, well, you must be Jesus. And, he, and his, his follow-up response was, no, son, I'm not Jesus. I'm your guide. I'm here to help you go where you want to go. You can call me Drake. And so thus began my relationship with this amazing gentleman that um, has forever changed my life. And and was able to facilitate me going to heaven and coming back. And then you started through a tunnel? So essentially, he put it to me. He, you know, Drake told me, he said, you have an option. You can go back to where you just came from. And he motioned to me back to the hospital room where they were starting to work on the body in the ER. And... And I looked at it and I saw all the trauma going on with the body of trying to resuscitate it still, still doing all the stuff they had to do to try to bring it back and how much the body was fighting it. It was fighting everything. Um, I was like, no, I don't want that. I, I want to go wherever, wherever you want to go. And he's, he explained to me that he can show me what's next for me. And what he meant by that was like, what is next for me and my progress of, of the eternal scheme of things? And so I said, yeah, that's what I want. I want to go with you wherever you're going to go. And he explained to me that to, for us to get there, that this wasn't just a motion or a movement from, from place to place. It was from a, a motion or movement from a lower understanding 
to a much higher understanding. He used the word or the the understanding of frequency because I understood that really well. Um, and he explained to me that I need to raise my frequency or raise my energy to be able to get where we were going to go. And it was going to be a process and he was going to help me through that. And at any time, if I didn't accept or embrace what I was learning or, or uh, progressing with, that he would help me through it. And so he began our journey. And, and it did start with what seemed like a tunnel of light. To me, it was more of a slipstream. Because I felt, I felt movement the second that he said, he said, okay, I'm going to help you through this process. We started to move, but we got, got moving very, very fast as I accepted what he was teaching me um, to a point where I felt like we were just, we were passing eons and eons of, of space and time as we were moving from this lower place of, of physical planet earth to this high, high frequency, high energy place of heaven where uh, there is no external light there because light is internal and it's eternally internal. Um, so, you know, in our lower form of the universe, our solar systems here, our, our light is external and, and only in a very small way is our energetic light internal. But over there in heaven, our physical light and our energetic light, they match each other and they're all internal. So it's, it's a beautiful thing that the whole process of getting there was just amazing. But my, my guide, Drake, he had to teach me so much. And I, you know, in my experience, I've broken it down to essentially 10 principles that he had to teach me for me to get there and, and actually step down in heaven. And I had to fully accept that these principles are, are, are possible realities or, or, or fundamental realities for, for life eternal, whether it's here or there, you know, here in the physical form in low dimensional earth or in high dimensional heaven, it's still an eternal principle that carries us across between the two. Now, these 10 principles that Drake teaches you, not to jump past your NDE, but I think it's really important to know who Drake turned out to be um, yeah. because, because it turns out that he is human as well as a spirit at this point that he had a life and that he could communicate these 10 principles in a way that would be really understandable. And your book explains this. Tell us the first principle, just to give an example to the audience. So the first principle is be authentic. And why that was important is because until we're truly authentic, we can't grow. So as long as we're going around putting on a different face of ourselves, depending on who we're with, then we're not truly growing. And it's, it's kind of sad in our, in our modern existence that the most authentic people are the people in their 80s and 90s or the people that are under five years old. Um, because at, at the very beginning of life and the very end of life, you finally get to this point on both sides where you don't care what other people believe or think about you. What you care is how you're able to um, express yourself and be you, be your authentic self. Take it, take it or lose it, be yourself wherever you go. And it seems like, uh, you know, in our, our existence here on earth, we tend to, uh, we gravitate towards that towards the end of our life. And we are that way when we're first here, but uh, we tend to start putting on different faces so that others don't judge us or others don't exclude us. And um, it's kind of a defensive mechanism, but until we can be truly authentic, we can't grow. So mm -hmm. it's important for us to embrace authenticity, tear us down to the foundation of being authentic, figure out what your foundation is, who you are, 
And then from there, you can build yourself. You can be real. Now, not to keep the suspense for too long, (laughs) tell us who Drake turned out to be and how it had been predicted in his life that he would become a guide and coach after his own death. So it was really, really neat to the point where I came back. I I woke up out of that three-day coma. I I went about my life. It was really rough, but I I made it and I met uh, my my wife. And as as we were journeying together, as we were journeying together, me and my wife, we went to a family reunion. And at this reunion, it's a little town in, in Star Valley, Wyoming called Afton. And we see this this presentation at a little high school about the the town of Afton and who the founders were and who, some of the first clergy in that town. And I I see these different images coming up on this movie screen that they're showing slideshows of of some of the founders of the the original little town there. And um, I was a little distracted looking away when my wife, she said, that's him, that's him. That's got to be your guide. I think that's your guide. And when she said that, I turned to look and I actually saw, I actually could see my guide. He was right there because I could recognize, even though it was a, an old, old picture, I could see in color my guide. I could see his pink glistening skin, his, <laughs> his white beard and white hair. And I just froze. I froze. I completely froze. And as I froze, my wife, without me saying a word, she knew that was him because I, I couldn't speak. I, I legitimately couldn't speak because up to this point, I was still struggling a lot with how do you, how do I logically accept my experience while I'm still living here in the, in the third dimensional world Mm. in, in, on earth, because that was such a multidimensional experience. It, it, it goes outside my realm of understanding in this physical form. So I was still struggling with that quite a bit, but to see my guide real life, the human form of my my guide who took me on this, this grand journey sitting right in front of me, it was absolutely beautiful. And um, at the bottom of the picture, it said CHZ, which is short for Charles, and then said the letter D, and then said Kazare. And I knew that my grandmother was a Kazare. So, so the very next day, I, was, I went first thing in the morning to my grandmother's house, and I went straight there and said, said, Grandma, can you tell me anything about Charles Kazare? And she goes, oh, you mean great-grandpa Drake. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that, was, that, was, that floored me because mm. it was kind of my own little test to her. And, and I was going to ask her, did people call him Drake? She answered it without me asking. She said, oh, you mean great-grandpa Drake. And, yeah. and I knew um, that thus was my, the beginning of my path of confirmation to know that what I experienced was a real thing. Cause I had never seen his picture before. There's, there was no way that my consciousness could have grabbed that out of the ether and just pulled it in as an experience. It was impossible. So yeah. the logic side of my brain finally started to embrace my experience at that point, that point I started to embrace my experience fully. I fully started to embrace it. And then later I had the rare and beautiful opportunity to help take care of my grandmother. Uh, months later, she was at the very end of her life and she, she didn't want to be in a nursing home. So me and my wife, we were newlyweds. We decided, you know what? We're the ones in the family. We have no strings with jobs and stuff. We can go and live there and take care of her at the same time I can 
go and do my construction, which I could do across the whole, whole world, you know? So I did. And we went and lived in Wyoming and took care of her. And while we were there, we got to see this, this very special prayer or blessing that was given to Drake. And it was in paperwork form where someone had documented his, his prayer that was given to him. And in this prayer that was given to him, it, it, it described about one and a half paragraphs about his purpose of life here in the physical realm. And then a whole page and a half, a whole page and a half of, of his different duties and his different facilitations of what he was going to do in the next life, meaning the, the afterlife in heaven, how he was going to be an escort or a guide to help facilitate people to be able to grow and, and move from, from here in the physical realm to the hereafter or heaven. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a prophecy. all right so let let me take you and drake back to the tunnel of light which you've described as a like a hole through time and space like Mm -hmm. a glass straw through higher frequencies Um, yes and as you're going through this what did it feel like uh felt comfortable and and very cooling and very um beautiful flowing very flowing Mm. what was weird is when i couldn't understand something that's when it got uncomfortable as long as i was embracing what i was being taught or portrayed to me then i was able to continue my progress and go go really fast and and kind of sit in my slipstream or my movement um but yeah it was absolutely amazing that literally words can't describe just the feeling of peace that i had while I was on that journey, a piece that I've never found here for sure. Yeah. And was it at the end of the tunnel that you observed these pods that we talked so, about? Well, what happened is as I'm going through my progress of learning these principles and each principle I learn, I'm getting faster and faster and faster. I'm getting towards the end of, and I can feel I'm getting towards the end of these principles that I had to embody. And, and I'm right there between avoiding negative influences and understanding the 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 purpose of evil in our life how how for there be to be an up there has to be a down as i'm embracing this i started to notice that this this immense expansive planet was showing up in front of us and it was it was way far off but it was so large that even how far away it was i could see it was many times larger than our sun i mean you could fit probably hundreds of our suns on the inside of this planet it's huge just bigger than our brains can comprehend. And this planet light was coming from it. There was no external sun. The light was coming from it. And I was, I was taught, you know, led to know that that was heaven that we were headed to. And, and more importantly, it was a heaven, meaning that there was more heavens for us if we need them. But specifically for me and for my journey, it was heaven and and it was showed to me as we got closer and closer, there was almost like a cloud or a, an, an even haze around the outside, uh, kind of the belly of the planet all the way around had this, this haze. And it looked like a uh, kind of like a cream colored haze. And as we got closer and closer and closer, I realized that this haze was built of these big energetic orbs, these big orbs of, of golden light. They held all these souls in each one. 
And as we got closer and closer, I asked Drake, I'm very inquisitive. My, my brain's always been very inquisitive. I asked him, what is that? Why, what are these things? And as we got closer, he showed it to me, he actually brought my consciousness where I was and injected it into one of these pods so I could see. I could literally firsthand see what was going on inside. I saw this gentleman in the late 1800s, early 1900s attire. He was speaking Italian. I knew he was um, Italian heritage, but he was in the United States. And he was cussing out his son in Italian, calling him all sorts of horrible things in Italian and, and telling, telling his son how his betrayal had ended his life and that he never wanted to see him again. Well, all, these, all these negative energies he was expelling out of him, out of his energetic body. And it finally got to a point where he, he took a deep breath. He got to the end of his sentence, which who knows how long that sentence had been going. But it, he got to the end and he took a deep breath and he realized that he had not even been talking to his son. In his own mind's eye, he had been talking to his son. But in reality, he was nowhere even on earth. Here he was inside this pot of light. And he looked around and noticed that all this light was surrounding him. And then boom. All these angels came from around him, and then he was gone. He was ushered into the physical presence of heaven from that point. But he had to get to this point where he, he got to the end of that negative sentence, that negative energy. He had to expel that out of him before he could even get into heaven. He could get close, but he couldn't get all the way until he expelled that out. And it's only in later reflection that I realized that that's, that's most likely what St. Peter talks about as the pearly gate or what we believe is the pearly gate is mm -hmm. these gate of pearls that we ourselves go into so we can expel negative energy out of us so that we can be clean for the, the beautiful, pristine energy of heaven that as we get there, we are clean too, that we're ready for it. And um, it was a, a, an amazing aspect or amazing part of my experience for sure. Amazing mm -hmm. part. It's it's like an enlightened view of the old idea of purgatory. Yes, very much so. I mean, who would want to be there, right? But at the same time, uh, being there is facilitating us to exit or or release negative energies off of us. So it's it's really a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. thing for us to be able to have, you know. And it's all ran off of love, all of it. And then I think you said when some lives end in trauma the soul winds up in a dome in heaven that's also full of light and love. Yeah, so these domes tend to be specifically for someone who ended at the hands or choices of someone else. So whether it was a traumatic accident or, tra or a trauma on purpose uh, through intention, it doesn't matter. When a spirit crosses uh, because of a large trauma, um, a little bit of that trauma connects to that soul or that spirit and to, to truly embrace heaven, they need to release that little, that little sliver. So they have these little half domes. Um, they, look, they look like those orbs of light, but it's only half of one. And they're on the heaven itself. And there's lots of them, millions of them. And you can go into one of those, release that little aspect of trauma, and fully embrace the light of heaven, fully embrace the experience of heaven. Um, yeah, so I got to, got to experience those a little bit. Um, but what's weird is I got to experience it a little bit there. And since I, I go back and meditate quite a bit and I can go and kind of dive around and see stuff and figure out stuff. So it's pretty cool. 
I think you also said that this life is the worst hell we'll ever experience. It is. It is. <laughs> the, the worst hell we could ever experience. We're in. <laughs> We're in it right now. <laughs> so it only gets as bad as this. It doesn't get any worse. It only gets better. And what makes it better for us is our decisions. The decisions we make here, that's what we create our future with, is with our decisions here. Yeah. So what more did you see of heaven? So I actually, after I made it through the pods and I saw the domes, I actually touched down on grass and grass in itself. Some of my friends joke with me that I, I'm the only one they know that cries about grass. Um, <laughs> when I talk about this grass, just the, the beauty, the light, the peace, the symphony of music that comes out of this grass, the, the aroma, the smell and taste you get from this grass, just being near it. Uh, and that's just the grass. That's just the environment that we're going into in heaven. And, and to me, it was so grandiose and beautiful because it was so amazing. Even though it's the simplest part of heaven, it, even the simplest part of heaven is absolutely beautiful and, and, and tremendously life-changing. If, if we could even grasp the loving potential energy that's in a single blade of grass there, we would change everything how we live here. We would change everything here. If we could even understand or grasp even the smallest amount of, of what is programmed and planned into of love into that grass that's there. But I got to experience the grass. I got to see the flowers. I got to see trees. I got to see um, this beautiful hill that had a, an amazing building on it. And in that building, I could tell it was like a university where there was learning, a lot of learning going on there. Um, learning eternal truths that are uh, unobtrused by mankind, unmanipulated by mankind, uh, where that's, that's very rare. You find that kind of stuff here on this, this earth. But yeah, it was just the whole experience was absolutely beautiful. And as I'm, I'm rounding up this whole experience, I'm ready to, I'm there. I'm like, let's see what's next. And that's when my, my guy Drake grabbed me and said, said Vinny, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And as he said that, he came together with me and he gave me this hug. But there, it, it, it's very different than hugs we give here because hugs were very limited. We have two physical bodies hitting each other as we hug. There, you don't have that problem. And you, we came together as one as we hugged. And the, the tremendous amount of love I felt from my creator, from God, and, and me being a Christian, I felt uh, what I call the love of Christ in that space. I felt the beautiful love that, that exists for all of us in this, this magical, amazing, life-changing hug. And as I'm feeling that, I started to hear the words of my brother, my own, my own brother from the physical world. He was saying a special prayer over my body, and he blessed that I would be made whole and that I would return back. And at that moment, my, my agency was removed from me, and I was forced back into my body. I was forced back in, and, and at uh, right around 1, 1 in the morning, about one eleven in the morning, I, I, I woke up out of this three-day coma. And, and from that day forward, for the next coming weeks, everyone called me the miracle boy. Um, but I felt like the cursed boy. I felt like I got a glimpse of the most amazing existence that's there for all of us and here i was forced back into what i felt was hell <laughs> it was pretty hard it was pretty rough for the first few weeks it was really rough 
I wanted to ask you, Drake told you the devil is real. And in our conversation, you made really, I thought, a profound observation that God created the top of Jacob's ladder as well as the bottom of Jacob's ladder, and that both are for us. And then you described it, the ladder as Christ consciousness. Yes, so absolutely. So what I was taught or, or understood through my experience is that that for us to leave God, for us to be able to, well, number one, in the beginning, we were existing with God. We were creations of, of our creator. And, and we were right there in such a, a tremendous power of love that anything that the creator wanted, we wanted. We were, you know, by today's standards, we call those yes men. Anything the creator wanted, we wanted. We fully wanted because we were in such synchronicity with the creator. And we realized and got, and our creator realized too that for us to grow, we had to go distant from our creator. We had to go away from, from our creator so that we weren't so influenced by that love. So our creator worked the magical way that our creator works and got a volunteer, an amazing volunteer. And to me, being a Christian, that volunteer was Christ that facilitated this process, this ladder for us to leave and come back. And there does have to be a bottom of the ladder. So there was another volunteer and that second volunteer was Satan. And, and, and we tend to believe that the battle is this like gnashing of teeth between, between God and Satan, but it's more of a, a, okay, it's your turn to pull. Okay. It's my turn to pull. <laughs> it's in, it's in coercion. It's, it's together. It's organized. It's orchestrated for our betterment. There has to be a down for there to be an up. So for us to facilitate the process of leaving our creator, Christ laid down the framework. And uh, now do we have to go and, and tattoo Jesus Christ on us to get there? No, uh, we can get there, but it is the Christ or the Christ consciousness that did this for us. So we've really got to um, understand that we can get to God through that power of love that you can learn when you you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be in, in a Christian faith. You can, you can learn about Christ and the Christ consciousness outside of that faith and embrace it. But uh, in a lot of these, these Christian faiths, they really embody that Christ consciousness. They, they kind of give you a fast track and allow you to really gain it. But then there's others that they put a lot of fences and hurdles in it um, with weights attached that keep you from, from actually gaining your growth and gaining your your velocity or trajectory back towards heaven. Yeah. I think you said too, that every trial is something we signed up for in order to learn to grow. Maybe uh, some of our churches can be a trial for us as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I like to explain it this way, that we are all swords in the maker's hands, that the creator is a blacksmith and we are the metal that the creator puts into the furnace and shapes and pounds and shapes and pounds. And what makes us strong is more heat and more pounding and more folding and more heat and more pounding and more folding. So for those who have a really easy life, they just, they've lived their whole life on easy street. They're not going to be as strong. They're going to crumble quite easily. They're going to fracture. But for those who have had the tempering of the heat, the furnace of the creator, and, and many times over had that. They're strong. They, they have that, that strength in them. And that's what it's all about is 
you know, we came here to understand that this life here is a classroom. It is not a courtroom. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're not here to fail. And a loving creator would not send 98% of his creations into a place where they could grow. The creator who is far greater than us as humans loves us so much that, that the creator created a system for all of us to succeed if we want, all of us, every single one of us. But it's up to us. It's 100% up to us and our, our choices, how, how much we succeed, how far we succeed, how far we progress. Yeah. You also said that during the experience, you got some glimpses of the vastness of creation. Talk about that a little bit. You know, I'm curiosity kills the cat. I, I'm very curious. And so part of my journey was that I was constantly reaching out with my consciousness while I was on this journey. And I just wanted to know everything, but I couldn't. Obviously, I, would, I just couldn't take it all in. But what I could take in, uh, Drake allowed me to see and experience. And part of that was to really, really gain an understanding of how vast, how truly vast creation is, how amazing creation is, and how, how far and wide creation goes across this universe beyond what we could ever know. There are creations across this universe, more than there are grains of sand in the sea. There's, there's literally more creations than there is, you know, living creations than there is sands in the sea. And I don't mean that just here on our earth. It's across so many different cosmos and, and universes and solar systems. A life is all permeating the exact opposite of kind of what we've been taught. Life is permeating everywhere, not just in specific little places. Life is everywhere. Yeah. And yet that doesn't diminish the importance of Earth. You said the DNA of creation, all of the DNA of creation is present on Earth. It is. And, and that's why um, all the different spaces in, in, in the cosmos really care about what goes on here is because, um, you know, this is the gathering. This is the, the mixing bowl where all the DNAs were brought to come together to be the test to see if we can facilitate um, the experience or the experiment of, of gathering all that together to really embody the closest thing to what, what our creator is. And, and that's how we are created in the creator's image is because we are a gathering of all the creations that our creator has made. And, um, and that's why that, that also is, is kind of the, the secret sauce of why we're so important, why, why so many are interested in what's going on here, but also why there's great forces to prevent us from growing here too, is because as, as what goes on here, so does the whole universe follow. So. Um, it's important that that good things happen here, even even though sometimes it can seem scary and seem like lots of bad things are happening. We need to understand there's a higher purpose, even to the bad things. That for every extremely bad that happens, there's going to be an extremely good um, correction that is going to come forward out of it as well. So um, it's almost like it takes a really bad president or king or ruler to create a really good one. That's just that's what it, it happens. And I guess that would explain why uh, aliens might be interested in how we live our life on Earth. If we succeed, the whole universe succeeds. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we succeed, we prove that, that all the different aspects of life can get along cohesively. If we can do it here, then they can do it across the cosmos. 
across the whole, all the universes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, something else we talked about, which has always been a favorite of mine, St. <laughs> <Saint> Paul <laughs> said, we are already seated in the heavenlies. In other words, we're really in heaven and our bodies here on earth are more like avatars. Talk about your thoughts on that. <laughs> this one's probably going to get out there for a lot of you evangelicals. So if you're an evangelical, go ahead. You can hit pause now <laughs> and come visit this in a couple of years. But I'll tell you this, that God created that system for us to grow, but knew that if the core of who we were actually physically left heaven, that we would be in danger. We would be in danger if we physically left our physical energetic core from heaven. So instead of allowing the whole being of ourselves to leave, we allow consciousnesses or slivers of who we are to leave in consciousness form. And that's what facilitates our life here is what we're experiencing here is a sliver of who we actually are. So our higher self actually does reside in heaven with God and already does. And many people can attest to this. You can even go under deep hypnosis and connect to your own higher self and have a conversation. And that higher self is, is, a, is like gravity. It's part of reality. It's part of a fact. And uh, that's the core of who we are. That's our real being, who we are. And what we're experiencing here is just a, a virtual reality. It's not, a, it's not the reality. Heaven is the reality. This is a virtual. And, and we experience this avatar-style experience here in these, these meat suits that we call physical bodies. And then when we leave, it's, it's not our physical, you know, it's, it's our soul or that sliver of consciousness that's actually leaving and going back up to heaven. It's not our, our whole self. Our whole self is already there. Wow. And that, there is no time either. So that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but, <laughs> but trying to understand linearly, because we think in linear lines, mm. we think that there's a, a beginning, a middle, and an end, but it's all happening right now. For us up there, it's all happening now. The dinosaur time to us, so prehistoric till now, Till the future, a thousand years in the future, it's all happening now to our spirit self, to our higher self. Now you returned with a gift, and that was a team of which Drake is a member that tells you things from time to time. And you told me a story about Jimmy Johns. Perhaps you could uh, <laughs> tell us that as an example of one of the gifts. So, man, <laughs> I actually don't, I, I don't like sharing this one too often because it makes me cry because not only am I the kind of the tool in God's hands on this, but I've also been on the receiving end of experiences exactly like this my whole life. But I'll tell you. So um, I was at a Jimmy John's at a rest, you know, one of these sandwich places. If you have one near you, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it's just a quick sandwich. And uh, I go and I order one. They hand me two. And the guy says, here's your two sandwiches. I'm like, no, I only ordered one. And he says, no, I specifically heard you say you wanted two number 12s. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, that's, that's weird. I did not order two. And one of my guides, I do have a team of guides that work with me. One of them came forward and said, you did order two. And there's purpose to this extra sandwich. We want you to take it downtown. And we want you to park on this construction site. And we'll tell you what to do next. So I go downtown to, this is in Reno, by the way, I had a business there at the time and I go downtown, I park at this one spot, which technically was like a little, little bit of an illegal parking job, but they told me to park <laughs> there. They showed me the spot. So 
I parked right in the spot they told me. They told me, take this sandwich and and get out of your van, your work truck. And I, so I got out of my work truck and they said, now reach your hand behind your work seat. <laughs> and anybody who uses shared work trucks, you know you would never do this. You would never <laughs> blindly just reach behind the seat because you're going to find someone's lunch or you're going to find an old drink that got tossed back there or something. But no, I did it. I, I It took a couple nudges, but I did it. And I reached back there and I felt a hat and a pair of gloves. And I had forgotten um, two years earlier, my wife had outfitted, this is the angel she is. She outfitted all of our trucks with, with hats and gloves for homeless people. All of our trucks had them and our cars, our personal cars had them too. So I have a hat, I have a glove, a set of gloves, and I have a fresh sandwich just made minutes ago. And they tell me, start walking down the street. And I'm like, oh, great. Where am I going? So I go walking down the street. Then they told me to take this left. So I took left. And they said, as I got down to the end of this left, I took this left. They said, okay, now you're going to go over here and you're going to take another left. But as you do, it's going to put you around a blind corner. That's where we need you to be. So as I come up around this blind corner, I'm looking. I'm, I, I don't know who this is for. I don't know if it's for me. I don't know what's going on. I'm just following these promptings. And as I come around this corner, there's this homeless guy and he's cussing at God. He's like, you mother ever, you hate me. Why do you hate me? <laughs> and, and to add a little um, explanation to this, this is the middle of winter. It's like January, February, and there it's really cold. There's snow, there's ice. Mm. And he's freezing. This guy I can tell he's cold. I walked up to him from a blind corner. I hand him a sandwich a brand new, brand new warm hat, brand new warm gloves. And I say, God doesn't hate you. He loves you. And I walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that, the way that I, I made my way back to my work truck, it kind of disappeared me right around this blind corner. And I was, before I knew it, I was back in my work truck and I could just see him. I could just see him looking around like, what the hell? <laughs> like what just happened? <laughs> you know? Um, but here's the here's the the beautiful thing I learned from this experience is this is one of many. I've had so many of these experiences now. Um, I've had 20 years of experiences like this now. That not only was it important for me to follow those promptings, those that intuition. If you want to call it intuition, call it that. For me to follow that intuition to bless another, I felt way more blessed because it helped me understand that even the least of us is so important to God. That God grabbed me from seven miles away, had a sandwich made for this guy, and two years earlier had planted the hat and the gloves in the, in the truck for him, knowing they were for him and knowing how it was all going to work out. So to me, the, the beauty of it is our creator knows from the beginning of the end of our story that there is no real end, that this is all for us to learn. So let's do it. Let's learn. Let's not think that the, there's the end to any of our lessons. Let's keep learning. And the way we learn is, is through loving each other and through creation. And, and where do we create? We begin with our thoughts. Our thoughts are where we begin to create because our thoughts literally will turn into our actions. Our actions will turn into our habits. Our habits turn into our character. And then our character is the driving force that directs our life. That becomes our destiny. So if we can control our thoughts, we can control our destiny, literally. And, and that's, where, that's what we're here to do. 
we're in in a classroom, not a courtroom. We're here to exercise our our agency, our ability to choose, and and it begins with thoughts. Thoughts are where we begin to create. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I've like I said, I've had lots and lots of experiences since like that, and 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 witnessed my wife having those experiences and my daughter having those experiences. So it's not just me; it's all of us. We all have that connection with our Creator that. If we want to listen to that intuition, the more we follow it, the stronger it will get. So if we if we will take that step of faith and follow that intuition, call that friend that you can't get him out of your head. Call him, reach out to him, text him. God is trying to bridge us all together because we are all we are all threads in the fabric of life. And if you stand back far enough, you realize it's a quilt. That the fabric of life is a quilt, and we're all individual threads, and that. God has us in there for a reason. So follow those promptings. They will lead you in a beautiful, amazing way. Oh, Vinny, thank you so much. This has been a, yeah. <laughs> a, a wonderful show. I hope lots of people- You got one people... out of me. You, Lee, you got, <laughs> you got one out of me that I don't normally share. So I'll, I'll tell you, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share because I don't share that one. I don't. Uh, I share it with small, small groups of friends. That's it. Well, but it's well, you... one that's really life-changing for me because I can see myself energetically as the homeless guy, as well as the guy, the, the tool in God's hands, both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope we can all see that both sides yeah. of that story. Vinny, thank you so much for sharing your story and the wisdom you gained from Drake. If listeners would like to um, learn more about the 10 principles that you learned from Drake, tell them how they can find your book. So the light after death, you can get it on Amazon, Kindle and, and Audible. People ask me, oh, great, a book. Well, the reason I had to do a book is literally demand. I've been telling this experience now for almost 20 years. And every time I tell it, the first response I get is, why don't you have a book? So I created this book. They can find it at, uh, at Amazon, Audible, and Kindle called The Light After Death. I also have a website where they can go and connect to me there too. So that the website is called thelightafterdeath.com. Excellent. Thank you, Vinny. This is yeah, a- thank you very much. If listeners would like to comment on the show and probably get a response from you at some point, they can go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, and leave comments there. Awesome. All right. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 480 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE Radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. Be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at TalkZone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.